Apulakako. Heavenly Father, what a grace it is to be able to gather in your name, to sing songs, glorifying you, teaching us about you, and centering us on your spirit, in your word. So we ask you, Father, gather here. Meet us in this place. Reach out. Touch our hearts, Father, in only the way that you can. That as we sing, as we read your word, as we fellowship here, that all these things would be done to glorify you. Use this time, Father, Use your servants here from Chris, our worship team. People gathered online, people gathered here right now. That all of us would be drawn to you. In a way that is indescribable to anyone who doesn't know the peace and grace that is found in you but in a way to us, the believers gathered here, that we know you are not only here, but that you love us. And if there is anyone in this room who doesn't know the depth of your love, who doesn't understand the peace that can be found in you, we ask that you would open the eyes of their heart. That you would use the believers here to reach out to them. And that as they leave, as we all leave here tonight, in the quietness of our minds, in the silence of the night, that we would hear your voice and rejoice and find peace and love, the kind that can only be explained by the God of the entire universe ministering to us. Guide us now, Father. If anyone's mind here is distracted, if anyone's mind is on anything besides you, Grab their attention. Fix their gaze upon you. And guide us now. Fill our cups, Father, so that as we leave here, we would leave encouraged. We would leave in love and leave ready to serve as you served us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. God's word read like this. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. At midday, O king, I saw the way a light from heaven 
brighter than the sun that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice say to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goats. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, persecuting, but rise. Pray, uh, pray, pray with me. Let's pray. There is a danger right now, and the danger is to merely listen. There's a problem that looms over us constantly when we come into a gathering, and it's a, a problem to let our righteous acts be done before men to be seen. There's a problem of pretending, of being plastic and fake. There's an issue that's always happening, and it could happen right now, Lord, where we would have sung the word and read the word and that tune out when it's time to hear the word and know it and believe it and so help us. We want to hear the admonition from James who says, don't just hear it. Do it. Be transformed by it. The word of God is living and it is active. Your word is sharp. So please continue to cut for the sake of granting life. Touch our imaginations. Anoint us with energy and an alertness that would treat the word of God properly. So that as we've read and as we observe together, and then as we hear it preached and taught, there would be a liveliness, not just uh, in the room, but in our own souls, in our own being. We want the Bible where it belongs. Truth in the inner parts, wisdom in the secret heart. Put this in us where it belongs now, Jesus, and do it with the power and the help of the Holy Spirit. And we pray these things in Jesus' name, all God's children said, amen. Let me just give you a quick breakdown outline of where I hope to take us through the rest of chapter 26. Um, you know, we, we, we have been seeing Paul as a fisher of men, right? I, I brought that passage up in Matthew 4. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And then Paul says, imitate me as I follow Christ. And so, you know, we're, that's how we're reading the text tonight. We're following we're imitating, we're looking at Paul who's following Jesus um, and, and in hopes is to imitate and ourselves also be uh, fishers of men. But here's the breakdown and then I'll tell you where we're landing. I want to tell you where we're going, but where we're going to sit tonight. So we already did the first 11 verses and in his witness, being a fisher of men, he carefully constructed a bridge that gets the, the, the hearer to Christ. He was carefully constructing a bridge. I'm not going to repeat last week's sermon, but that's what he was doing. He didn't get straight to the gospel. He was finding touch points. He was building a bridge. Tonight, 12 through 16a, there's a clear understanding of his conversion, a clear understanding of his own, his conversion. Next time we gather, Lord willing, Acts 26, 16b to 18, there's a clear understanding of his commission. There's a clear understanding of his commission. And then 19 to the end, Lord willing, there's a confident casting out of the net. So that's the breakdown. Um, 1 through 11, careful construction of the bridge. 12 to 16, clear understanding of his conversion. That's where we're sitting tonight. 16 to 18, clear understanding of his commission. 19 to 32, a confident casting of that Net. So tonight we're going to sit in on conversion. You know, as a pastor here, I get the joy and the privilege of 
when members want to join the church or are praying about joining, or even if visitors just visit, I, I get the, that, that privilege of sitting in and hearing the conversion story. I'd say there's no greater joy that I have in the ministry. I mean, there, that's one of the highlights, I think, for me. Um, in the past six years being here, I'd say almost all, if not all, most of them, uh, anyone who's joined the church since in these past six years, I got to hear their conversion story. Um, but, you know, throughout, throughout my life, um, listening to people share their, their story or, you know, if someone asks, oh, tell me your testimony, or they'll say, oh, tell me how you, you got saved, kind of all synonymous, but um, it's not surprising. And I would just let you guys know, someone who hears conversion stories almost every other week, um, most of the time, or a lot of the times, the person who's sharing with me, as they're sharing, they start to realize they're kind of fuzzy on it. They, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know exactly what they're trying to say. Or, or if even I ask questions and press in, that they'll even come to a place of saying, I, I think I'm kind of Christian. Um, I'm sort of Christian, or uh, I thought I'm saved because I just come to church. And, and as I dialogue and try to help them understand what, okay, what happened, how, how do you actually become a Christian? How does it actually work? Um, there has seemed to be a lack of clarity on it. Um, it's just not clear. There's an uncertainty. There's, there's an inability to articulate it, but not just articulate it, but to know it, like to know what you're saying. Sometimes I'll get an answer of just like, it, it sounds like they've just been catechized and they say all the right things. And then I press and ask, well, what does that mean? And there's a sense of like, oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> and that's okay though, but it's not okay to stay like that. If you're here tonight, or perhaps maybe um, you've been having a hard time witnessing or being a fishers of men, I'm going to argue this. I wonder, I wonder, I wonder, you may have been walking with God for years, but you struggle with sharing the faith, with testifying, with being a witness, with being a fishers of men. I would argue that there's a good chance when it comes to your own conversion, you're uncertain. I would, I would argue and, and wonder, I'm not quite sure you even know that you know that you know that you're saved. Or maybe how you've been saved. Why? Because I think one of the reasons Paul is such a confident, charismatic, compassionate, power-filled witness is because this first thing that we're going to see right here tonight is he's super-duper clear on his conversion. He knows who he believes in. He knows how he was saved. And he knows how it went down. See, the details and the means by, by which God has grabbed all of our attention, it's going to vary. It's going to vary. Not, not all of us going to have this story. Light brighter than the noonday sun and bah. Not all of us going to have that. Going from terror persecutor to the preacher. Not all of us going to have that. The, the, the details and the means by which God gets your attention, it's all going to be different. The way God got my attention, way different than how God got his attention or your attention. But the details and the means by which you are saved, anyone that's saved, all the same. All the same. Conversion, the means, and the details by which anyone becomes a Christian. It's all the same. So we can look at Paul's conversion. And if you truly are converted tonight, you can be like, when we hit these notes, these points, oh, yeah, that's what I'm talking about. That's my language. I know what, I know what Paul's saying there. You're gonna, there's going to be a resounding yes and amen in your heart. Because even though your stories may differ in detail, the heart, principle, foundational things of what's happening. It's the same. Everyone saved is saved by grace alone, through faith 
alone, in Christ alone, all these things, everyone, all of our conversions, if you're converted, it's all those things. Why is it such a big problem if you're not clear in your conversion? If we, the church, is not clear on this, if we don't get this, and not just the pastors, no, more importantly, the whole church, anyone who calls himself a Christian, because if you're not clear on it, you're going to have a false assurance. You can, you can go through the Christian life just up and down and unsure. You're not going to have no peace and no rest What Brother Gabe was praying earlier. You're not going to know that rest. Another reason why this is so important to be clear on is because if you're not clear on it, if you go out and evangelize and witness, it's like blind leading the blind. You're going to make false converts because in your mind, you think conversion was that feel good buzz that you cried at camp and you said a prayer or you did a this or did a that, or you, you just joined the church. You got baptized. If that's conversion to you in a nutshell, then you're going to try to witness like that. You're going to just try to get a person to come to church and boom, they're saved. We're, we're doing kingdoms work. Uh, guys, let me, let me, pop, let me, let me finish on this. And as we get into the text, Matthew seven, verse 21 to 23, it says this many, Many, many will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus will look. I never knew you. Many will say, I'm converted. That's Matthew 7. Many will say that. And they'll be confident. Lord, Lord, did I not do this? Did I not do that? And Jesus will say this. I don't know you. You don't really know me. Brothers, sisters, it's so crucial we listen right now. Paul, right here in these verses, gives his testimony. He gives a confession of his conversion. And it's so clear. And he's speaking it with such clarity. And the devotional question and thought is, is it clear to you? Like when you hit the pillow tonight, are you without doubt? No doubt, not shook one bit, that if you don't wake up the next morning, you're in the presence of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords because you are a convert. You are born again. You are, in fact, Christian. So as we walk and trek through just these few verses, let's see Paul's conversion And let's pause in moments and ask ourselves, as Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 13, examine yourselves to see if Christ is in you. Peter says, be all the more diligent to be sure of your election and your calling. This is so important. God be with us as we go through your word. Do the miraculous. And if there is any unconverted, convert. And if we are converted, but we're not clear, give clarity that we might be better fishers of men in Christ's name. Amen. Verse 12. Here we go. In this connection, pause. We go slow, yeah? Because you're a slow preacher. Uh, what connection are we talking about? What is this connection? Well, look, 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 rewind the tape a little bit. Verse 9 to 11. Convinced that I ought to oppose the name of Jesus. Brought us convinced Jesus is nah. Verse 10. 
And I did so in Jerusalem, not only locked them up, but uh, locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority of the priest, but I, they were put to death and I cast my vote against them. I punished them and I tried to make them blaspheme and raging fury against them. I persecuted them. So in connection with what? In connection with his passionate heart to persecute Christ and his followers. This is, this is the flow right now. We're, we're hopping right back into uh, to this epic climactic moment of Paul witnessing before King Agrippa and all of uh, Jerusalem right now. And he says this, in connection with this, my sincere wholehearted hatred towards Jesus. Look, it says this, I journeyed. I journeyed to Damascus, which is about 135 miles away with the authority and the commission of the chief priest. Now, let's, let's pick at this slowly because I want us to see something. Paul is saying in connection with this, this is the heart of my life, anti-Christ. And in connection with this, this is how I live. This is how I journeyed. This is how I do me. This is the way Paul lived. In other words, first point, Paul was dead in his trespasses and sin. Something we got to be clear about understanding when we ran the tape on our life and our conversion, there's got to go back to a point in time in your, in your life story that you know, maybe it wasn't like Paul, you weren't some fanatic religious person who was just trying to build yourself up with religion, but you had a journey. You were on your road doing you. And you got to be clear in understanding that it was not seeking Jesus. I mean, look at this. He's like, okay, he's making it very clear to King Agrippa I hated Jesus, and I lived that hatred out. That's why Paul is the one who writes this. In Ephesians chapter 2, he says to everybody in Ephesus, he says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's not worked in the sons of disobedience. And then he says this, among whom we all once lived. Well, how was Paul living it in this time? He was persecutor. He was casting his vote and seeing Christians murder. Guys, apart from Christ, we all once lived like this. There was a day when you were carrying out the desires of your mind and body. You just did whatever you want to do. And there was no nothing in you that thought, I'm going to go get Jesus. You and I were all running the total opposite way. This is, we got to be clear on this because in Paul's testimony of his conversion, he makes it very clear to King Agrippa, I wasn't pursuing Jesus. No, in fact, I was doing the opposite. I was out to get anyone who said his name. That is so foundational. See, the only thing Chris Morales contributes to his conversion is his sin. That's all I got. See, if you're truly a convert, if you're truly converted, you got to get that. You need to first really understand that you and I, apart from Jesus, were dead in our trespasses and sin. Why does Paul say trespasses and sin? Because trespasses, you see the line and you cross it willingly. Paul even puts in here, I had the approval of the chief priest. He's, he's not accidentally doing this. He knows what he's doing. You've been there in your life where you know what she's doing is wrong. And you do it anyway. 
See, Paul has a, is a whole other level of evil because in his mind and heart, he thought he was doing good. That's like a whole other level of wrongness. It's one thing to know like, okay, you know, I know I'm living a messed up life. That's why you get the uncles and aunties who say to the young kids, hey, no be like uncle, okay, while they go ahead and do that. Or you get the parents that say, hey, no be like your father and your mother. But they, it's just like, what? You know, like it's like they acknowledge, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, doing a, I'm living a wrong life. Paul is like, no, I think I'm doing the right thing. I got approval from the chief priest. But in fact, what he's actually doing is totally wicked. He's murdering Christians. Guys, before we move on, I just want to make this clear because Paul makes it clear that he's dead in his trespasses and sin. What can a dead guy do? Nothing. You got to get that clear about your story. Or is there somewhere in your heart and mind you think you actually contribute more than that? You think the reason you're saved is because you've done this or done that or been here or been there or born into? Grace alone, guys. But anyway, let's keep moving. So he's on his own path, doing his own thing. I just wonder, what path are you on tonight? Verse 13. At midday, we brought this up in observation, right? That's noontime. Sun is bright and beaming. He says, oh, king, I saw on the way a light from heaven. Let's go slower. Midday. What's so important about midday? Well, it ain't midnight. So if anyone was listening to Paul thinking like, bro, you, you was probably just, whatever you seeing is probably just a dream or a vision or you, you just saw, you're a little cuckoo. No, Paul is being like, okay, guys, it was midday. I, I, like what I'm telling you, like I understood, like I was alert. I'm, I'm, on, I'm on the journey. It's midday. It wasn't midnight. What the author is trying to make clear is that these things really did happen. It's factual. So Luke is a great historian and Paul is a great preacher because he's like, no, what I'm about to tell you, this is, this really went down midday. I saw, Oh, this is so big. I saw. Cause I think up until this moment, Paul has not seen anything when it came to Christ, but I saw the light. Paul is saying, I am a witness. Now I am seeing this for myself light from heaven. He notices that. He notes that. Something from heaven is, mess, is coming on me. It's, it's, something's happening. In your conversion story, you have something like that? You, just, you, couldn't, you couldn't quite make sense of it, but something was going on. But look what happened. It says, a light shone around me. Now we know who's the light, guys. Who's the voice? But we know, right? Yeah, they say that with confidence. Yeah, Jesus Christ is shining on him. Now, I just want to point this out. Who's shining on who? Christ is shining on Paul. Who's pursuing who? Christ is pursuing Paul. Here's the point. Paul was dead in sin, but Christ shined on him. He didn't have to shine on him. He's a full blast on his road doing life how he wants to do it. 
thinking the way I'm living is right. And then God, Jesus from heaven in his mercy decides to boom, shine on him. Ephesians 5.14, wake up sleeper, rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. Now, what does it mean for Jesus to shine on us? We'll read the verses before that on your own time. In a nutshell, he's exposing this person for who he is. It was a gracious moment, the day when Christ shined on me, on my own path. I don't know what path you were on before Christ shined on you, but I'll tell you a little bit about my path, just in general, on a path pursuing prestige, pleasure, popularity, all by means of sports, recreation, girls, whatever, whatever the path was. Maybe we're similar, maybe we're different, but you was on a path and it wasn't towards Jesus. And then somehow, in some way, Christ got your attention, didn't he? See, if you're converted, you know what I'm talking about. But I want us to just really see this, that Christ is the one shining. We love because he first loved us. In your conversion, in Paul's conversion, in my conversion, Jesus always makes the first move. Don't not see that. Romans 5.8, God shows his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, dead sinners, Christ died. He did the work. What work? Can you just reflect a little as we put together our own conversion stories? Do you remember the road you were on before Christ came to you? Do you remember that? What you thought, how you felt, what you were doing, how, how confident you were in everything else and yourself or anything else but Christ. Do you remember those days? And then Christ showed up. Thanks be to God, right? And it's totally outside of us. It just, there's nothing Paul did to deserve that shine. I think Paul is convinced of that. You read his letters, the way he talks about his convert. It's all Christ. And Christ begins the conversion by shining. He's, we're going to read on, he's going to expose who Paul is. Has Christ shined on you? Has he gotten your attention? Has the light of Christ peered into the darkness of your soul yet? Where it's so blaring, there's no more running. There's like nowhere to hide. You're just done with it. Just naked, bare before God. I'm here. You see me. You see all of me. That's the, this is the beginning of the conversion. We got to be clear, we're dead in our trespasses and sin. And then God makes an act of grace and he shines on him. Let's keep going. Verse 14, and when he had fallen to the ground. This is beautiful. Up until this point, Paul was so proud in his Pharisee background, studying under Galileo or whatever, however you say his name. And, you know, a Hebrew of Hebrews, tribal Benjamin, whoop, whoop, right? He was so taunted on 
in himself. He was so secure in himself. And here's the moment. Here's the moment. Christ shines on him. Knees hit the floor. And then in his humility, what happens? I heard a voice. And in the Hebrew language, I understand what he's saying. And then it says, Saul, Saul. It's a direct word to me. And I'm hearing it. For the first time in my life, I'm hearing God. I've been reading the Torah my whole life, says Paul. I know the scriptures, Genesis, to um, all the first five. I got got the law. I, I think I got it. Nah. Not until this moment you've not heard the word of God, Paul. See, this is what happens in conversion. Christ shines on you. He gets your attention. And then this is what he does. Paul was dead. Next point, in sin. But Christ spoke to him. Spoke to him. Sister brought up the point. There was a lot of other guys there that saw the, that were in the light and on the floor. We don't know if God spoke directly to them too. Maybe, maybe not. But we know this. Paul knows this. He, he's speaking to me. Have you, had, have you heard God's word like that before? Perhaps tonight? This is evidence of true conversion, guys. There's a humbling moment in a man and a woman's life that Christ shows up and just totally breaks you down. But we'll see it as we read on, not to break you down and leave you there, but he breaks you down to build you up. I'm so grateful to God that he humbled Chris and that he keeps needing to humble Chris. Because unless you have a humble heart, you're not going to hear a thing from God. Our hearts and our hearing go hand in glove. They're, they're one and the same. You get a cup of Kai heart, you're not going to hear. You, you ever you say to yourself in your journals, I just don't, I'm not hearing from you, Lord. I can't remember the last time I heard from God. Well, let me just suggest, check your heart. Why do I say that? It's in the Bible. Hebrews chapter 3, verse 12 to 15. Take care, brothers, lest any of you have an unbelieving heart. Watch out for each other unless you have a heart that doesn't believe, leading you to fall away from the living God. Exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened, your hearts hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold to our confidence. Verse 15. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Paul had a hard heart. The Jews have a hard heart against the Lord Jesus. They rage furiously against the Lord and his anointed. Their hearts are hard, so they can't hear. That's why Isaiah the prophet says they're always going to be hearing, but never understanding. Always seeing, but never perceiving. You know, it's very possible to grow up in church and hear the Bible your whole life and never truly hear the voice of God. That scares me. That trips me out. That it is possible to think you're hearing God when you're not. You know, Jesus tells the Pharisees in John chapter 6 or 5, he says, you know, you diligently search the scriptures. You think that in that you got life just because you can break down theology and use big words. You think that that's what it is? No, you don't even come to me. 
You don't know me. You don't hear me. This is a huge tipping point moment in Paul's life, in his conversion. He's going from prideful, arrogant, hardened heart to hitting the floor, humbled before, for, for King Jesus. And then finally, and then I heard the voice. Have you had that moment in your life? Paul was dead in his sin, but Christ, man, he spoke. You know, are you like the disciples on the road to Emmaus, Luke 24? He was teaching, teaching, teaching. You know the song we sang together before this that Trevor opened the eyes of my heart. You know, he was teaching, teaching, talking about it. And it says they were there, they were there. And then it says the Lord opened their eyes. And then later when Jesus left, they were debriefing with each other. And they're like, hey, didn't our hearts just burn? Didn't it burn mad when he was talking about him from the law and the prophets? Like, did it, and it all started to click and make sense. Like, he's the Lord. He's the like we were just eating with Christ. Like, did, did it? So, did you heard that right? I, I heard it. Have you had what is? Have you had those moments when you finally heard the voice of Christ speaking to you, Saul, Saul, Chris? Chris, John, John, Trevor, Trevor, like to you. In a moment, you weren't in just some religious service hearing some preacher just use religious jargon and you were just kind of like, oh, no, it's like you ever leave service and you're just like, it's like God was speaking directly to me. Yeah. That's what Paul is having in this moment. And it's so big, guys. My greatest fear in being a pastor, one of my greatest fears, I have a lot of them, but one of them is this, is reading the Bible and big books and becoming merely all scholarly and not being a lover and a hearer of the word of God. I just want to hear Christ and know that I know that I'm hearing him right I don't care if it's for a sermon. I don't care if it's for a devotional group or a small group that I got to go into. No, no. I just need to hear this for me right now. I need to know that he's speaking. See, the convert, the born again, the child of God. Guys, we, there's something within us that cries out, Abba, Father. And when Father speaks, it's like, yep. That's what Paul's about to have, and he's never had it. He's never had it up to this moment. This is why I think when I go and have my devotions or when I'm going to even prepare for a sermon, it takes me so long to settle in and just kind of relax. I'll sit there and stare at the sky for like 45 minutes before I do anything because I just, my heart needs to get right before I can hear anything. I'll just go blast in and start, this means this means this. No, don't have, don't read your Bible like that. So I always admonish you guys, read and pray. Heart and hearing go hand in hand. Oh, but when you hear him speak, isn't it the sweetest thing? Truly hearing God. So I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, which I know, Saul, Saul, twice. Emphasis. Like when I called to my son, Blue. Blue, blue, you know, father speaking, calling out to Saul. And then he says this, let's keep going. Why 
Are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. Why? The Spirit, when God speaks through his word to you, it's not, it's not information. It's like a question. He comes to you personally. He, he speaks to your will and who you are. Like, what's up, man? What's going on? Do you read your Bible like that? You read the Bible and then you hear the voice of God just come straight at you. Paul is hearing it, man. Why? And then he says this, persecuting me. And then he says the phrase that um, Michelle brought up in observation. Why is it hard for you to kick against the goads? It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a terminology of stubborn. Goads are those long prodding sticks that they would use to beat the beast to keep them going, guide them in the direction. And so when the beast would kick against the goads, it's like, say, stop it. I'm like, you know, it's like, go left. Nah, I go right. Oh, okay. And then he's, so that's, that's, that's why when Hannah brought out that observation, I wonder if Paul's just, hello, you should know by now. I started to wonder, I wonder if he's been kicking against the goads since Acts chapter seven. And he heard Steph, Stephen's sermon. Remember when Stephen was preaching the gospel and Paul, Saul said, kill him. He threw his quote. I wonder if he couldn't get that sermon out of his mind. I wonder if in the holiest way it was haunting Saul up until chapter 9. I know that in my conversion story, it's been like that. Stubborn knucklehead. Just trying to push back and resist the word of God. And then praise be to God in his goodness and grace, he overcomes that resistance. He draws you in. No one comes to the Father unless he draws him. That effectual call is what's happening. Paul, you're persecuting me. And you're pushing back. Hard, huh? That's what he says. And then Paul says, okay, who, who are you? And I'm inclined to even lean in with Hannah there and be like, I think he knows, but he's, I don't know. And the Lord said, and here's the moment, this drop the mic specific revelation moment. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And in that moment, brothers and sisters, Paul, two clear things flooded his mind. You're Jesus, so you're alive. The one I've been, per you're alive. You're not dead. You're risen. First thing. Second thing that was clear to Paul, you're persecuting me. So, okay, I know that I've been, I've been persecuting the church. So this came clear, clear to Paul. You mess with the church, you mess with Christ. Two things flooded his mind. Here's the, the next point we see. Paul was dead in sin. And Christ spoke to him. And then we see Christ speak convicting words. There was conviction. See, what Jesus is coming to say to Paul is he's shining light and he's pointing. He's shining light on that sin. My man, you're persecuting me. You don't believe I'm alive. I'm alive. I am Jesus. And you are deep dead in your sin, Paul. 
He makes it clear. There's a clear awareness of his rebellion, sin, and the wrath that he deserves. We're the bride of Christ. So it's like him saying, he's messing with my wife, Paul. You'll put this into perspective. He's on the floor. There is an incredible fiery light. And he is at odds. He's, a, he's an enemy of what's above him. He, in that moment, is probably thinking, I'm done. I'm going to get consumed. The fires of, I'm going to get just gobbled up by the fires of hell. This is it. I'm done. There's no more. Paul, this is who you are. You're a sinner. And this is important to know that Jesus points out you're sinning against me. Why do I say that's important? Raise your hand if you've ever cut anybody off while you're driving. Just let's be real. Confession. Okay, keep your hand up if you've ever cut someone off on purpose. Okay, we lost half of people, but yeah, okay, honest people. Keep your hand up if you've cut a cop off on purpose. Wow. That was a joke, right? Wow. On purpose. Wow. Okay. Well, for the rest of us, it matters who we're offending. See, we've, like, I've heard people confess and say, no one's perfect. I'm not perfect. I've made mistakes. I've sinned. You know, they come through, they've, they've been watching porn all week or they're doing this all week or, you know, they're, they're tempted with, with getting angry or gossiping and this. And they, just, and they confess it in a sense of like, you know, we're, we're all imperfect. We've all sinned. It's like, yes, that's right. But brother, sister, I don't think you realize when you sin who you're sinning against. That's why when I cut off the guy on purpose and I look in my rearview mirror and his truck is higher than mine and his arm looks like the size of my leg. I all of a sudden I'm like, why? Because the person who I, I think I offended, I know can mess me up. You know what the Hebrew writer says concerning Christ? Let me read it to you. Hebrews chapter 10. If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge, this is from 26 to 31 of the truth. There's no longer a remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. I think Paul had that in his mind when he saw the fire or the light. I'm done for. I'm going to get consumed and I deserve this. Verse 29 how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who's trampled underfoot, the son of God? Vengeance is mine. I will repay it. The Lord will judge his people. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We don't think like that when we sin. We think everyone makes mistakes. This is true. And what everyone fails to realize is they're sitting against the living God. See, if you're a convert, if you're truly converted, you've come to realize that about your sin. 
Like when, when we flirt with sin, guys, when we play around with whatever it is we're playing around with, perhaps tonight you are struggling, you're sitting in a, a pool of sin. Understand this. You're not just making mistake. You are offending. You are a rebel. You are sinning against the Lord God. He's, he's ferocious. He's holy. He's greater than you and I can ever fathom. You don't want to be on the opposite side of him. This, the fear of the Lord is the beginning. It's the beginning of true knowledge and understanding. When you have an awareness of your sin and who you sinned against, it becomes bad news. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God becomes really scary news. Like the Hebrew writer will say, it's a fearful thing. He spoke convicting words to Paul. This is why I think David in Psalm 51, when he sinned with Bathsheba, he writes, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. Blot up my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. I know my transgression and my sin is before me. Then he says this strangely in verse 4, but now rightly against you and you only have I sinned. What? You murdered Uriah. Yeah, he did sin against Uriah. You slept with Bathsheba. That was not your wife. Yes, he did commit adultery and sinned against Bathsheba. But what's flooding David's mind? I sinned against God. I sinned against God. See, the person who's converted had that moment. They recognize, not that they're just imperfect and they made mistakes. They sinned against God. Paul, you are persecuting me. And I'm Jesus. I am the Christ. This is why when Peter preached at Pentecost chapter two, right? Rewind the tape like three years ago and we were there in chapter two. Um, he delivered the sermon and he said, you guys crucified him. And then it says they were cut to the heart. They was tripping and they said, oh man, what do we do? Repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. We see this. The word of God coming to Paul in conviction. When Christ shines on us, what happens is it gives clarity to who we are and where we're at and what we've done and who we've sinned against. Have you had that? If you haven't had that, hear the word of the Lord tonight. All of us in some way, shape or form has royally screwed up. But worse than that, we sinned against the king, the maker of heaven and earth. And therefore, we are rebellious and under his wrath. And that's not good news. But why I press into this is because the next phrase makes it so glorious. You're not going to care about the good news unless you really understand the bad news. And the bad news is this, that Paul is dead in his trespasses and sins. There's nothing he could do. He deserves judgment. And then we read to finish tonight. Verse 16. But rise. But rise. Anistemai. The same word used 
In 934, Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. It's the same word used that Luke says in Acts 17, verse 3, explaining and proving that it was necessary for Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. This word is an action-packed word. It's a supernatural get up, Paul. I humbled you. You're on the floor. And yes, you should stay there. No, actually, you deserve for me to consume and destroy you. But that's the gospel. But rise. When I know I should die for all the blood on my hands, all the fury I had. Brother, sister, hear this. Hear this clear. I don't care how bad to the bone you think you are. I don't care how far gone you think you've gone. How, how swamped you are in your sin and addiction or whatever it else you put on that plate. Christ and Christ alone has the power to say, but rise. Here's what we see in closing. He, Christ, spoke words of life. We saw he spoke words of conviction, and now we're seeing him speak words of life. The mercy and grace and abundant life that flows out in this one phrase, but rise. It's amazing. Oh, it's amazing. But, but, but. We see this all through the Bible. Genesis chapter 3. Let's go back to the garden. Verse 8. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves in the presence of the Lord because they sinned. They bit the fruit, right? God among the trees of the garden. And verse 9 says, but the Lord called. They should have been done. Dead. They was rightfully hiding. They didn't know place to ride. But all to our surprise, when the Lord comes to them, he says, but. But he calls. Romans chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one might even dare to die. But God shows his love. I'm just going to give you three verses. This is all through the Bible. God's righteous judgment should come down. The hammer should come down. But God. Salvation through that judgment. Here's one. And we'll bring it to a close slowly. Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to turn there and read this with your own eyes. Ephesians chapter 2. What we're seeing in conversion is a clear understanding that we are sinners. And, and we deserve wrath. We deserve death. But God's word of life. Ephesians chapter 2. This is Paul writing this. And you got to wonder if when Paul's penning this to Ephesus, he's thinking of this day. His conversion story. You were dead in the trespasses and sin. Paul is like, yep, yeah, I was. In which you once walked, following the course of the world, the prince of the power of the air, spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedient. Yep, that was me. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. We were all by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Yup, that was me. I just was doing me. Just like everybody else. Here we go. Verse four, what does it say? But God, being rich in mercy, 
because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ by grace. Not by works, not by effort, by grace you've been saved. Raised us up with him, seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. If you are dead in your sin tonight, if you're entangled in your sin, and be honest, and care if you even serve in the church, you're not walking, you're stumbling, whatever the state you are in, hear this, but rise. Get on up. That is a word coming from heaven. And how do you rise up? Repent and believe. This is the, ad, this is the message always. This is what Paul's going to get to later when he casts the net. He's just giving his conversion. But it's so clear to him. I am alive because of God's spoken word. You and I were breathing by the word of his power. If there's anything burning in your heart for Christ tonight, it's because he shined on you. Is there, if there's anything in your soul that you know your Savior and you can't wait to see him, you long for him. We read stuff like this, we look at this, and your insides is like burning. It's because he spoke clearly the specific revelation of Christ and who he is. And he granted you the faith to trust him. And you and I and Paul, that's our renown, but God. Oh, but God. Oh, rich in mercy. Oh, great love. And we'll sing it throughout the ages. Amen. It's so, so sweet. If there's sin that needs confessing tonight, I urge you to return. If you are unclear of your conversion, I urge you to look at these things. And here's my, here's my um, application for you. Go home tonight, even if you've done this before, and write out your conversion story. So write out your testimony. And look for these points. Who you were, what path you were on before Christ. And then the moment when he shined his light on you and got your attention. And in the moment when he spoke to you, you heard that Bible study, that sermon, or you were reading something. And for the first time, it's like God spoke to you clearly. And you realized that he is the way, the truth, and the life. I can only rise up because of Christ. That's conversion. Salvation is a work of Jesus. Start to finish. And then next week, that's why I left out the and stand. Because when he says rise, stand up, stand up is now the prelude, the preface to I got a mission for you. So next week, we're going to see Paul is very clear now on his commission. See, a lot of us you hear people talk about them being on mission and evangelizing and being fishers of men. And, and some of us were just like, it's, guys, it's not a personality thing. It's not because that guy's, she's cooler, he's cooler, he's better looking, or that's why people listen. No, it's not a matter of that. It's not a matter of that at all. It really does start first with understanding your own conversion first. Being so struck and certain and stunned that Christ saved you. I'm telling you, if you press hard into that and know that you're saved, 
the fishing, it just flows out of us, really. Because that now we're, we're clear in, in how we got saved and we're actually clearer now in how to help people get saved. You see how it connects hand in hand? So that's where we'll go next week. But right now tonight, as we close and as you know, Trev kind of makes his way up and we're going we're gonna to close it with a song and, and we're singing the song on purpose because I'm praying that it will really help um, kind of make certain and solidify what we've heard tonight. Conversion, man, it's all grace, faith, Christ. Oh, but God, that moment. So as I pray, as you... I even pray that during the song, you'd have moments. And just even now, as, as before we sing, just kind of rewind the tape in your mind of your whole journey. Go as far back to who you were before you were called. It's a good practice to do that, you know. That's why Paul tells Corinth, remember what you, what you was when you first called. Just go back there. Some of us, maybe it was last week, you know. Some of us, maybe six months ago. Some of us, decades. But go there. And ask the Holy Spirit to make clear your conversion. Let's pray. There is no name under heaven by which man is saved, just Jesus. Thank you so much, God, for the Bible. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity in it. And I know that in this place, uh, there's many brothers and sisters who are starting to realize who they are in Christ and um, filling into the good works that you prepared in advance that they'd walk. They, they're, they're being the ambassadors. They're being the fishers of men that you've created us to be. And yet, if we're honest, there's also still a sense of a, a sheepishness, an uncertainty, a, a lack of wisdom of how to. But Lord, I pray that we'd start here by being certain that we ourselves first are saved. To be totally convinced of this and confident in this. So deal with us now, Holy Spirit. Wherever my brothers and sisters or my friends are at right now in this moment, deal with us. Speak to us. Open the eyes of our hearts. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. God made us alive. Go in the grace and peace of Christ. Amen.